So y'all see some new exciting decorations up here tonight? Y'all notice that? You know what? I could have told Miss Tina and their crew, they could have left all those uh, props up here, man. That still would have rocked, you know? But um, uh, I just, uh, uh, tonight what I'm going to talk about, uh, and I was just wrestling, wrestling, and I'm like, Lord, what on earth do you want me to title this? Because he gave me the the overall direction, and... um, but so we're just going to look at some scripture. I'm going to take out some principles uh, in the scripture um, from 1 Samuel 17. But we're just going to talk about how we serve an incredible God and how uh, uh, as we live on this earth, God wants us to remember and he wants us to experience it. And as his children, that he's still on the throne. He's an incredible God. That's not just, you know, the title of kids camp, but even after kids camp, even for, for, uh, from the beginning of time to the end of time, God is still an incredible God. Still an incredible God. Before us, he was an incredible God. With us, he's an incredible God. And after us, he is still going to be an incredible God. And man, the enemy wants to snuff that thought right out of us. You know, as his children, for us to to um, get our perspective off on who God is. Because no matter what we face, no matter the stress that we deal with, no matter the, the work projects that we face, no, that, no matter the responsibilities that we face as parents and grandparents, no matter what those challenges, those frustrations, hello, am I talking to anybody? Those are you kidding me moments? Or I can't deal with this again? Or oh my goodness, Lord, you're going to have to help me moments. Anybody have those moments? Yes. We can still declare God is an incredible yes. God. Lord. And that is our hope. That is our strength to where it's not just a statement. I heard a pastor on, on a teaching today and, and man, when he, and when he said this statement, even though we know it, we've heard it, but man, it just ministered to me. God is still speaking. God is still speaking. The reason why that is so important is for in any relationship that you have that is healthy, there's open communication. Amen. The moment that communication ceases, the moment that the life exchange of relationship ends. Any marriage conference you go to, you have to have open communication. Well, in our relationship with the Lord, we need to know He is still speaking. Why is that so important? Because it, His speaking to us does not determine by what we do or what, by what we don't do. He is God. So that means his love is unconditional. That means his faithfulness will never end. So I am so glad that no matter what type of attitude I have, no matter what type of challenge, disappointment, stress that I am dealing with, I do not have to depend on Dixie Bowen, but I can depend upon God. Man, and that just encourages me. All right, so he's an incredible God. You know, one thing that... Um, in kids camp, and I'm just going to use this as an analogy, man, when you see all of these children and they are declaring the goodness of God, it stirs my spirit. It brings me to tears. It's like, why is that? Because you know, parents, if your children can hear the voice of God and they can experience his nature and his power in their life, their life will never be the same, no matter what they face. I know that can be such a heaviness on our heart as parents and as grandparents, whether they're in the home, whether they're out of home. I was, I was listening to, I was listening. I was just walking by and listening to a conversation. And both of these parents were describing the worry of their hearts because their children are out of the home. And I understand that. But man, I know those children that they were talking about. And I've seen them declare the glory of God. I've seen them experience the incredible, amazing God. And they're going to stand. They're going to be outstanding citizens. They are outstanding citizens. And so that's with us today. God, just as I was seeing a visual of these children, and let me tell you something that they were declaring. I don't know if Miss um, Maria is here, but she wrote an incredible theme song. It's anointed. It's anointed. And, and these babies were declaring this. Your love 
is my superpower. In your strength, I can do all things. Your love is my superpower. And I know I was made for this. When I close my eyes, I know that you are there. We are strong. We are brave. We are not afraid. You light the way. You are everywhere. We are. We are. We are his incredibles. There's more. Your love is my superpower. And your strength, I can do all things. Your love is my superpower. I know I was made for this. We hear the call. We're set apart for such a time as this. Your love is the source of my life and hope for all. The fight was won, so here's my heart. I give, because we are, we are your Incredibles. Now, as children began to sing that song, they are going to experience the power of God. And that is what God delights in. Because he paid a high price, not only so that we could have access, so that we could experience his nature, his power, his love, his assurance for us. But you and I also have that same access. Kids camp was a great model, is a great model for this song. What a great prayer. You know, if you wake up in the morning as an adult, I can understand if you don't want to sing, your love is my superpower, but I challenge you to do it. I do. Because sometimes, many times in the stresses of life and the difficulties and the disappointments and the frustrations in the weariness, we need to go to God as that child and we need to declare him because it pushes out our dependency upon ourselves. And it welcomes in for him to be our strength, for him to be our source. Does this make any sense? You know, with the children, you'll see them. They're turning and dancing, and they have no coordination. They're running into each other, and they're just giggling. You know, you've turned, and they're just, they're just literally flapping their arms like this. But I see why when God says, let the children come to me. Because we're, when they come, it's all out there. You know what, guys? We need to come to the Lord like that. What a great lesson that we can learn. Because he's an incredible God, but he wants us to experience it. Okay? So we're going to look, um, we're going to look this evening on, um, just two different perspectives that the, ch- uh, children are the, the, uh, battle of the, um, the Israelites faced, uh, along with the perspective of David. Okay? So open your Bibles to Psalm 23, 6, and we're going to get right on into the word. Okay, Psalm 23, 6, it says, Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. That right there declares how incredible he is. No matter what we face, no matter what we go through, not only is he love, but his love is pursuing us. His love is pursuing us. I love in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, it says, Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. There's the promise right there. God's like, guys, I, I know that there's a lot going on. I know that you have a lot on your schedule. I know you have that project that is due. I know that, that your job requires you to make a lot of decisions. I know that the children take a lot of your time and a lot of your, your energy for you to nurture and for you to care for them and wait, raise them up in my ways. I know that. But I'm an incredible God. And because I'm an incredible God and you have received me as your Lord and Savior and my spirit dwells on the inside of you, by my spirit, you are an incredible person as well. Greater is, I tell you, if there's one thing that I've heard multiple times my mama say to us, greater is he than in us than he that is in the world. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Dixie, you're the head and not the tail. And so why on earth did I always hear those things? Because she was depositing life into my spirit. Depositing life into my spirit. Building my spirit, man. So that not only, even while, and sometimes I would say, yes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And you kind of, you know, say it, you know, just as, you know, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. You say these scriptures. But sometimes even if we say them with 
a gentleness or with a repetition because we said it so much, there's still power that's going out in it. It's still gripping our spirits. It's still changing our atmosphere. It's still charging and changing our destiny. Okay? And he wants us to speak that. Why? So that as as our spirit man is growing, we see he is incredible. But also he wants us to see how he sees us. How he sees us. Isaiah 26.3. He says, you will keep perfect peace all who trust in you whose thoughts are fixed on you. You're not going to trust somebody that you don't know. So this is in reference to as we trust God as our Lord and Savior, there is a promise we will have his peace in our life. You know, uh, I'm going to just read, you can write these down, Romans 9, 4 through 5 and Hebrews 8 through 10. Uh, uh, Romans 9, 4 through 5, it says, The people of Israel were ch- are chosen to be God's special children, revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave his laws to them. And they have the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. The reason why I put that scripture in there is because we're going to talk about the army of Israel tonight in 1 Samuel 17. Out of, out of the stories that I have read, uh, over the years, uh, for whatever reason, I seem to find my, myself back to 1 Samuel 16 and 1 Samuel 17. They're extremely inspiring and encouraging to me. 1 Samuel 16 is, uh, uh, the journey of God just calling David, uh, to be the king. And, uh, in 1 Samuel 17, even though there's, uh, it's the next chapter, but there is still a gap in the history time, okay? And so uh, what we're going to do tonight, if you'll just turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17, 8, we're going to look at the armies of Israel and how they lost their worship. But, oh, they had one of their very own that didn't lose his. And how it changed, it changed the battle. It changed their perspective. Okay, and how as we uh, go throughout our day, as we go throughout our time on this earth, not only does God want us to remember that he's an incredible God, but there's a couple of things, there's a couple of steps that he wants us to take so that we don't lose sight as we're serving him in the battle. Okay, so um, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, kind of give a breakdown of this individual scripture. And uh, and the scene that we're going on is... Um, uh, a man named Jesse, you've heard the story, so let me just give a breakdown of it. A man named Jesse had eight sons, okay? His youngest son's name was David. And at this time in the kingdom, uh, Saul, at this time in history, um, in First First uh, Samuel 16, uh, Saul uh, had, had disobeyed an instruction of the Lord. And so God was removing him and had communicated to, to Samuel uh, that God was appointing a new king. God didn't tell Samuel at that moment who it was, but God had plans. And so God instructed Samuel to go uh, to Jesse's house and to bring all of his sons in front of him. And that God would show Samuel who was to be the next king. So son, the first son, Eliab came. Big, strong guy. Now being the firstborn, he's the one that, that if there was going to be the king, he was the one. He seemed to have all the outward criteria. Okay. But the first son passed, the second son passed, the third son passed, and none of them were him. And so finally Samuel asked Jesse, do you have any more sons? And the father's response was, yeah, I have one tending the sheep. That's very important to know the father's response. Because when Samuel came into town, he people knew, even the the... Uh, the people in the city knew that when Samuel was in town, they knew Samuel was there to do the business of God. And then whenever he, Samuel first approached it, whenever Samuel first approached, they immediately became fearful, like, oh my goodness, what did we do? Is anything wrong? And Samuel was just on a mission. And Jesse knew that as well. But yet he did not have all of his sons there. Because there was more value on some sons than there was on others. So don't you know that, that David experienced that inferiority? David experienced that comparison. David experienced that uh, rejection. Okay? But he did not allow it to mold and shape his identity of who he is. Okay? And so as the story goes, uh, 
uh, here comes David. And Samuel said, God showed him he is the one. Because God says, I don't look on the outer appearance, but I look at the heart. And so Samuel anointed him. And he was the one. And the Bible says that the Spirit of God came upon him. And he was the one that was going to be the next king. Now, guys, this was years past. Years past. So what did he do? He went back serving his father. It was some time that whenever uh, the presence of God was leaving Saul, he began to have, I'm just kind of giving you a short, he began, uh, because of Saul's disobedience, he opened the door to a heavy um, uh, oppression and uh, upon him. And so they were like, okay, guys, what are we going to do? And, and so the, the, the leaders uh, amongst Saul said, you know what? If we provide maybe some music, that'll change the atmosphere. And so they found out David played the harp. So David was brought in. And as David was brought in to play the harp for Saul, that it created an atmosphere and where peace was coming. Okay. Now it was not by accident that that, that was the steps and that was the process. Okay. And it was interesting, Scripture does not say that David said, I have arrived. I come here with my mighty harp. You get off of the throne because I'm the anointed one. It does not say that. Only what David did was he obeyed God in every season and every time and every way. He played the harp. The anointing was so strong that David, that Saul even said, hey, would you, went to Jesse, said, hey, can your son please be on my staff from a, from a shepherd? to being in his inner court upon his staff. Man, I need this guy. And so he'd go back and forth. He'd go back and forth. He'd tend the sheep, he'd play the harp. He'd tend the sheep, he played the harp. He'd tend the sheep, he played the harp. But what was being cultivated within David was a heart of worship. A heart of worship. Because God was preparing him for something that was bigger than him. Just as God, the same God that Abraham, the same God that Isaac, the same God that David, the same God that they serve is the same God that you and I serve. And you might have had somebody compare you. You might have had somebody pass you over with a job, pass you over in a family situation. But God said, I'm looking at your heart. And I've called you and I have a purpose for you. But the question is, will you worship me? Will you worship me when nobody else is looking? Or will you worship me just for that promotion? Will you worship me? And so David, he proved the test. He proved the test. And so what happened is, is over a course of time, David has matured. His even features have changed. And the reason why we know this is because when the time came for, for the battle between Goliath and the Philistine army, in Isaiah 17, 53 to 55, the Bible says that Saul did not even recognize him. He had matured. He had grown. And so what happens is, is Jesse, his, his, his older brothers are on the field. And they had been on the field with, with uh, the Philistines and the Israelite army for quite some time. And what they were being faced with was, uh, the, um, was with Goliath. And Goliath, as you all know the story, nine, over nine feet, uh, massive guy. But he was a pagan. He did not worship God. He did not believe in God. Matter of fact, the Philistines, for generations and generations, they hated, they hated uh, the Israel army. And the reason why they hated them is because they knew the God that they served. See, don't you know the enemy knows the God that we serve, even if you forget it? And so... The Bible says that as, as Jesse gave David some instructions, hey, listen, I want you to gather some grain, uh, gather some cheese, go feed your brother, go give it to uh, their captains, and, uh, and then give me a report on how your brothers are doing. No problem, Dad, I got it. And so as David is arriving onto the field, he hears Goliath talking smack. That's my version. Because my notes aren't in here. I must have misprinted them. And so he hears Goliath talking smack. 
But what had happened is for 40 days that Goliath had been coming and been taunting the children of Israel, the, not, not the army of Israel. He'd come out in the morning, he'd come out in the evening, and he would just intimidate them and try to terrorize them with fear, try to terrorize them with intimidation, with inferiority. What was he doing? He was trying to distract them from their identity. He was trying to detour them from their own inheritance. God, the enemy knew that. These were the, these is the army of Israel. This is the same army that whenever, or the generations of the same army that whenever, uh, the, uh, um, uh, uh, the, 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 the Amalekites, <laughs> you gotta laugh at yourself. When the Amalekites charged the children of Israel and Moses went on the mountain and he began to worship God and he began to declare God's people, those are the generations. They had heard the stories. How the Malachites were wiped out when Moses began to worship God. They heard the stories of the children of Israel marching around the wall of Jericho and they're blowing the trumpets. And what were they doing? Worshiping God. Generation after generation, a battle would come. Let's worship. Generation after generation, a wall is up. Let's worship. So they had seen modeled. They had seen even not only in this generation, but even the past generations at this particular time in 1 Samuel, but even if you read Jehoshaphat, chapters later, they do the same thing. When there's a battle that's coming, what do we do? We worship. We worship because they recognize their need for God. They recognize, hey, God made a promise with us. He made a promise. He made a covenant with us as his children. Not only are we his chosen children, but we can call on his name. We've seen it with Abraham. We've seen it with Joshua, with Joseph. We've seen it. It is Joshua, not Joseph. And we know that he's the same God yesterday and today. But at this particular time in history, the army of Israel forgot whose side they were on. And so when David came upon, and I love David's response. He had his supplies, he left it with an individual. And then when he heard that Goliath was talking his stuff, his, this is what his response was. His response, he did not fear, he did not cower. The Bible says in 1 Samuel eight eleven, it says, when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they're talking about hearing what uh, Goliath was telling them, they were terrified and deeply shaken. But David's response said, who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? In our vernacular, who does this crazy person think he is? Who does he think he is that he's speaking against God's very own army? Because David was a worshiper. He saw with clear view who the enemy really was. He was not intimidated. He was not scared. He did not say, oh, my goodness, who am I? I oh, my Lord. Oh, my goodness. We've got to get out of here. What is God going to do? How is he going to move? How is he going to provide for us? How is he going to protect us? No, his, his perspective was on that which is eternal. His perspective was on an incredible God. And that is how he was able to win the battle. But I'm going to go even, I'm gonna go even further. I'm going to go even further. Okay? In verses 45, as they're, they're discussing, and David has said, Hey, man, I, I, can, I can defeat him. I can knock him down. No problem. I'll take him out. Um, David's brother, Eliab, hears him. And Eliab has, Eliab has some very interesting words for his brother. In verses 29, excuse me, 28 through 29. And when Eliab heard David talking to the men, he, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway? He demanded. What about those few sheep you were supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and dishonesty. You just want to see the battle. And David's response was, what have I done now? I was only asking a question. Then he walked over to some other, words, other men 
and began to engage in conversation with them. Some of those closest to us will be the ones that will bring some of the hardest hits. I'm going to expand on that a little bit in a moment. But this is what David, David kept on moving forward. The word got back to King Saul that he was that he was willing to take him down. So Saul put his armor on him. David was wobbling around. David said, I can't do this. So he went down by the river, got him some stones, put it in his, his pouch. And so he had his sling and he had his staff. He had his sling and he had his staff. And this is what I want us to focus on tonight. If you'll turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17, I want us to read 45 through 47. Listen to David's charge against the enemy. Okay? David shouted in reply, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone will know that the Lord does not need weapons to rescue his people. It is his battle, not ours. The Lord will give, give you to us. Guys, this is our declaration no matter what we face when the enemy comes in our way. You know, I have this specific word and a plaque on my on my office. And as I was going over this, the Lord just encouraged me. He said, yeah, Dixie, I understand that you have that plaque to make things pretty. But he said, I don't want you to have it. And I don't want you to have it in a frame, but I want you to hold it in your heart. Because that frame is going to sit right there on that on that counter. But when you hold it in your heart, you'll go wherever. You, that word is going to go wherever you go. And meaning we know God and we love God, but God doesn't want us to just put him in the corner of the church whenever we come and worship him. But whenever we walk out these doors, whenever we're in our car, whenever we're cooking dinner, whenever we're in our workplace, God wants us to know, I am, I am with you. I am the Lord, your God. And today the battle is, is not yours, but it is mine. You will overcome. He wants us to hold that deer in us. Hold it to our heart. And I love this part in verse 48. Goliath moved closer to attack. But listen, look at this. This is hilarious. David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it uh, from the sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank and Goliath stumbled and, and fell, fa fell face downward on the ground. So the so David triumphed over the Philistines giant with only a sling, with only a stone and a sling. Okay, so here are three things that I want us to look at. Three takeaways that I want us to look at when it comes to uh, three takeaways in the battle. Are you ready? Three takeaways. You know, one, we must be cons consistent worshipers of God. Consistent worshipers of God in every season of life. And David, even though he was tending the sheep or whether he was playing the harp or whether we, he was on the battle, he was a worshiper long before he became clean, king. And let me just say this. He was even a worshiper when he had a moral failure with Bathsheba. He said, what do you mean, Dixie? He was a worshiper. Read Psalm 51. Read Psalm 51. Listen to this. Psalm 51, 5 through 10. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from me, from the heart, so you can teach me to be wise in my inmost being. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh God, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Let me tell you something. You don't have that type of intimate relationship if you're not a worshiper. And what that shows that, yes, he did sin, but he repented. And when he repented, 
all that worship began to rise up with inside of us. That's why God wants us to boldly come to the throne of grace so that whenever we sin, we do not allow it to callous our worship with the Lord. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're going to mess up. Look to somebody next to you and say, you're going to mess up. But still worship him. Still worship him. Still worship him. You know? And, uh, and in the passage of scripture, the army of Israel facing Goliath for 40 days, I want you to notice something. There is no mention of them worshiping God before the battle. And there's no mention of them calling on the name of the Lord for help. Why? They lost their worship. They lost their worship. Here they were trembling. Here they were terrified when they're faced with the enemy. But they didn't see those who had gone before him to model it. What happened to their worship? But God was faithful. Because God knew that that battle was going to take place there. He did. God knew that they wouldn't call on his name first. But oh, didn't he send somebody named David? Oh, now I'm getting excited now. See, God knows that we're going to go through the same thing. But the lineage of David was Jesus. And God says, I know what they're going to go through. So I sent my son. So when they have times of, oh, they've lost the worship. When stress is gripping them. When weariness is gripping them. There'll be other people that will intercede on their behalf. And they will receive the work that was done by Jesus on the cross. The army of Israel was able to take part in the victory because there was one that came along that didn't lose his worship. Are you getting that, my friends? God loves us so very much that even in the moments that that we're weary and we're exhausted and we lose our worship, he said, oh, I'm going to send somebody. I'm going to send a worshiper. I'm going to send somebody. It's going to lift up your hands so that you can experience the victory. You know someone in your life that's done that for you? Well, guess what? God wants to use you also to experience that. For you, for, for you to be a worshiper not only in your life, but for you to be a worshiper of, for somebody else. You know? All right, so three ways, uh, three takeaways in the battle is one, be consistent in a worshiper. There's a couple things I want to share with you. One, your identity is found in your worship to God. You think of the steps that, that David was brought to from, from the, the palace to through the confident warrior that he was. You have to know who you are. His identity was found in his worship. His character was shaped in his worship. And your passion is stirred and formed in your worship. Your passion is stirred and formed in your worship. And what I mean is that if you're feeling exhausted, if you're feeling like you don't have anything to offer, if you're feeling like uh, like you're just, you just want to give up, I challenge you to worship. Because when you begin to call on the name of Jesus... Even if you don't have the strength in your own ability, the spirit of the living God in on the inside of you will begin to stir you up. And before you know it, you'll just begin to tap your toe. You'll begin to clap. You'll begin. And you didn't have any energy before. You didn't have any passion before. You didn't have any enthusiasm before. But the word and the power and the presence of God will overcome what you're experiencing. Come on, guys. We got to worship. Don't worship by how you feel in the moment. Just be consistent. Be consistent. Be consistent. Number two, be intentional. Three ways to take, three takeaways in the battle. One, be a consistent worshiper. Two, be intentional not to take offense. Be intentional not to take offense. The enemy will try to use those closest to you to hurt you by their words and by their actions. Eliab was a great example of this. He, he mocked his brothers, attacked his character in front of everybody. But what was David's response? What have I done now? That tells me that David had had that same interaction with Eliab before. 
But it also tells me that he didn't respond with anger. He didn't respond with defending himself. He just said, what did he say? What did he say? I know. Okay. What have I done now? I was only asking a question. He had open, healthy communication. And then he just moved on. He didn't get angry. He didn't prove his, he didn't plead his case. He said, I can't believe that you just said this about me. Who do you think you, who do you think you are? I'm the one that Samuel anointed. He didn't use pride to declare what God was going to do in his life. And many times we can get excited and God wants us to receive that word that he's given us. He wants us to hold it dear in our heart. But he also wants us to allow him to activate and promote us and not to use that word that God has given us to justify our pride of others' wrongdoings towards us. Does that make any sense to you? Okay. And that, that, that confidence, that security comes when we're worshiping him. But our heart is protected not to take offense. Not to take offense. Offense will trap you. It'll trap you in a world of bitterness. It will trap trap you in a world of a critical spirit. Because you're always wanting to prove your case. Everybody is always wrong, but not you. If you're if you're quick to argue, there's an offense that has taken place in your life. If everybody else is wrong but you, there's an offense that has taken place in your life. You know, um, I was recently out to dinner with a loved one. And uh, having a great time. And just in a casual conversation, uh, this loved one made this statement that was extremely jarring. And it it, it gripped me so much uh, that I was telling someone about it. And I was like, man, yeah, I know I heard them say that. It it, it gripped me so much, it, it messed me up. And and so I, I went to the Lord, and it, it, just, it hurt. It hurt. And I'm like, Lord, why on earth would this loved one make this statement? And because um, I could see how the enemy was wanting, I could see how offense was wanting to come on because the enemy was wanting to dis- me to distance myself. The moment that you begin to isolate, the moment that you begin to distance yourself from a relational exchange or someone relational, then that is the moment that the offensive trap is trying to set in. And so, but this is what the Lord showed me. God showed me in a word. He said, it's their place of pain. He said, in, in what he did, and God just is an incredible God. He didn't have me attack the person. He didn't have me charge the person because God loves them. And God wants me to respect their life. Okay? But he just revealed to me. That word, that, that uh, message that they said came from a place of their pain. So therefore, it brought understanding. And then it brought empathy. And many times, if we would just stand back just for a moment, take a deep breath, and say, Holy Spirit, what was that? That's not normally in their character. What's operating there? Guess what? Our incredible God will speak to you. And most of the time, what he will do is he will cause you to have understanding. He will cause you to have empathy. And because of your humility to step back, And say, Lord, I need you to speak to me. He gives greater grace to the humble. And therefore, his grace will rest upon your life to extend and be an avenue of grace to that very person that hurts you. Okay? And so what happened was, instead of me getting uh, angry or frustrated, I said, okay, Lord, I extend grace. I extend grace. Lord, now I know what to to pray with their heart on. Because I don't want... I don't want anyone to live in a place of that kind of pain. You know? All right. Um, So back to David and Eliab. Is it possible that David responded, excuse me, Eliab responded to the way to David is because Eliab was living in a place of pain because he was the one that wasn't chosen to be king? Here's the deal. All of us have been chosen for something great. By Eliab's offense, I believe. I believe. The Bible doesn't say it, but there's evidence there. By Eliab's offense towards David, 
he allowed his perspective to be distorted. And instead of him seeing his value in his worth, he just attacked the very one that God had brought to save them. You know? And so instead of being aggressive and attacking, we can just say, Lord, I need you to protect my heart so that I can see my value and my purpose on what you would have me to do. Okay? So one, be consistent in worship. Two, be intentional not to take offense. I heard um, a pastor say one time, a wise man, he said, people are not your enemy. That should be on a plaque somewhere. People are not your enemy. Okay? All right, number three, final one, we're wrapping up. Be willing to serve unselfishly. Be willing to serve unselfishly. Is that the proper grammar for that? Unsel- you know, y'all know what I'm talking about? Don't be selfish. <laughs> Don't be selfish, okay? When David defeated Goliath, this is cool. When David defeated Goliath and he cut off his head, I loved how the children of Israel responded. I, I keep on saying the children of Israel. I love how the army of Israel responded. They charged the enemy. They weren't shy. They realized, oh, wow, we do have victory. Wow, God has given us favor. And they charged. And I mean, they, the Bible says, uh, they went, even after the Philistine was running, they traveled them all down. They left residue from dead bodies to all their supplies and picked up their supplies. They didn't quit. But I want us to look at something. The word says in 45, 1 Samuel 17, verse 45, it says, David shouted in reply, you come to me with a sword and a spirit and javelin. But there's two things I want us to look at. But I come to you, I come to you in the name of the Lord. That's individual. And then he says, the God of the armies of Israel. That's corporate. David defeated Goliath individually. But the Philistine army was defeated corporately. This is a principle that we need to get and glean from. When we serve God with the motive to love and to love others, it releases his power and to position us for his plans and his purpose to be established in our lives. David worshiped God and God had a specific plan for him individually to kill Goliath. But that opened the door corporately for the Philistine armies, excuse me, for the army of Israel to charge and destroy the rest of the Philistines. That is a picture, my friends, of the church. God has called you for a specific purpose, to worship him, to serve him. But he wants us also to corporately come together to storm the gates of hell and to build the kingdom of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Each one of them are very important. Look to 1 Corinthians 12 and then verses 26. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up only one body. So it is with the body of Christ. Drop down to verse 16. If one part of the body suffers, all the other parts suffer with it. Or if one part of the body is honored, all the other parts share in its honor. It's so important that yes, individually, God has a specific plan and a purpose for your life. But then he wants us as a whole church to come corporately to bring glory and honor to him. Isn't that good? Oh, God is so faithful. God is so faithful. So one, Three ways of the, three, three takeaways in the battle. Be cons, a consistent worshiper. Two, be intentional not to take offense. And three, be willing to serve unselfishly. Be willing to serve unselfishly. I love how even though David knew who Saul was because he had been playing the harp, Saul 
had not recognized, as I said earlier, who David was in First Samuel 17, excuse me, 55 through 58. But David's motive was not to be recognized. David's motive was to bring glory and honor to God. And my friends, God, the same God, yes, God is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And the same God that David serves is the same God that we serve. So here's our takeaway, guys. Worship him. Do as the psalm says, and David says, God, point out anything in me that offends you. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Because God has paid a high price so that you and I could not live with stress just gripping us, with weariness and exhaustion to where there's no joy or, or our purpose has been distorted by our, by our view of just conflict in our life. He loves you and he values you. If you begin to just worship him, if you ask him, Lord, examine my heart, point out anything in me that offends you, and then if you say, Lord, I'm willing to serve you, even if nobody else sees, I know that you do. I'm willing, Lord, for you to be magnified in my life. Say, okay, well, Dixie, when am I going to do that? July 27th, you'll have an opportunity. There's serve day coming up. Serve day. Go in the community and serve people. They're not going to pay you but God will see. Just serve them. Love them to Jesus. Be their David. When they're gripped with fear, when they're gripped with hopelessness, come on, you be that worshiper. You be that peacemaker. You be that servant that comes on that battlefield, rolling up your sleeves, saying, I'm here to love you. And when you and I do that, we will display to others how our God is incredible. Not because we're saying it, but because they will see it in us. Would you stand to your feet? Thank you. Thank you, Lord. With your head bowed and your eyes closed. God knows what you're going through. He knows the decisions that you have to make. He knows the battles that maybe be that are facing your health. He knows any relationship conflicts. He knows the things that are going on in your life. And he's saying, son and daughter, I'm right here with you. I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. My love is going to pursue you. It pursued you on the cross. It pursued you to the grave. It pursued you to heaven. And it's pursuing you on the throne. My love is going to pursue you. So if you say, Dixie, I got a lot of things going on in my life. But I don't know of this incredible God that you're talking about. But I'd like to know of this incredible God. If that's you and you say, that's the first place for us to experience. That's the first place for us to discover a true identity is we have to know the incredible God. If that's you, say, I don't know him, but I'd like to know him. We want to give you that opportunity. You can just lift your hands, let us know, and we'll lead you in a prayer right now. I want to know that incredible God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. all of us are children in the house would you just lift your hands come on let's just do some business with God ask God to reveal to us if if our worship has gone a little sour if our worship has gone if we're just if we're so weary just right where you ask God God give me a hunger Give me a hunger for worship.
God, pour down anything in my life that offends you. If I am holding on to wrong in my mind of what others have done or haven't done, God, forgive me. Say David's prayer over yourself. God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. God, do not banish me from your presence. God, be magnified in my life. Come on, can you say that right? God, be magnified in my life. God, be magnified in my marriage. God, be magnified in my home. God, be magnified in my business. God, be magnified in my workplace. God, be magnified in my mouth. God, be magnified in my thoughts. God, be magnified in my responses. God, be magnified. Be magnified in me. God, I just thank you for each man and woman in here. Holy Spirit, as the truth in your word has gone forth, Lord, may it stir up within them. May it establish them in the name of Jesus. May, they, may it establish them to run and not grow weary. May it establish them to pursue after the things of God and not cower in hopelessness. May it establish them in the identity that you have for them. They are not a mistake. They are not a failure. They are not forgotten. May the truth of your word establish your children. May they have a greater understanding of your love, of your purpose, and your plans for their life. And may they declare, God, you are an incredible God. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Give him praise. Give him praise. We love you guys. We hope you have a safe and a wonderful night. If you need any prayer for anything, you come right up here and we'll be happy to stand with you. You are dismissed. God bless.